Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in prayer again because prayer is something you desire and prayer makes a difference. And we pray for mothers this day that they would be honored, that they would be appreciated uh, by their, their children. And we give thanks for our mothers. What a beautiful picture. There are pictures throughout scripture of what the father is like and what the mother is like, but the mother who tirelessly gives and gives and gives and pours out herself for her children. So we pray for energy for the mothers with children. We pray for the spiritual mothers just as much, those godly women who are investing in other women, as Titus commands, that they would teach younger women. Lord, we need more and more of that. Would you provide that? And as Paul says, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Lord, the reason he said that was because of suffering. Because of suffering. In, in the passage this morning, there will be uh, the, the dealing with suffering. And with the ministry of love life is around suffering. And with Christians abroad, the persecuted church, there is suffering. So we pour out ourselves, lift up our brothers and sisters in other nations who are indeed persecuted for standing upon your word by their words themselves that they proclaim by the lives they live, they are tortured, persecuted. Hard for us so often to imagine, but it is true, and we lift up those brothers and sisters, and we lift up the cause of love life and what it is standing for that we might put an end to this tragedy. And we are not naive enough to think that none here in this congregation would be touched by abortion. So we pray for healing of those dealing with it even years past. You are a God who cares, who redeems, who forgives, who loves, and we thank you for that. And we pray for a special touch on anyone related to that, that you would do that in love. Lord, we pray for those close to our congregation. We continue to pray for Trent and Catherine, for Ernesto and Awara, and the loss of their child. Lord, we pray also for Jackie Schott with a stroke for her sister and her um, having to deal with that remotely, not being able there to help physically. May her prayers and our prayers be heard on her behalf. Lord, we pray now in the preaching of your word that you would um, bless us with it, with the truth, with the application of your holy word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, we continue on in Philippians and we'll be looking at this wonderful passage, verses 27 through 30 of Philippians 1. So Paul writes, God speaks in this holy, inerrant word. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God." For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You may be seated. God's holy word for us this morning. Those of you who are good at at multitasking, How many things can you do, in a sense, at one time? How many can you multitask at one time? Some more than others, most likely. But a study back in 2008 of the brain, of the memory, said that there are really only three or four things that you can have in your working memory, kind of at the top of the queue, that you can be really doing at the same time. Three or four. So for that mom who's got the baby in one arm, talking on the phone to another child away at college or something, um, and who's helping little Johnny with, the, with his math, um, needs something with her feet. So she's, she's giving her husband a foot massage while he's trying to figure out Dilbert in the comic books. That mom, she's, she's maxed out. That's about all she can multitask, okay? Those three or four, according to that study. But Paul here says, well, forget about that. If you're not good at multitasking, good. If you are, I'm still going to simplify it for you. He says, there's just one thing for you. And that's how the passage starts. Only, in a sense, he's saying there's one thing. He's holding up his finger and said, one thing to focus on. Now, as far as Paul goes, we know that One for Paul is still going to flesh out in a long run-on sentence. This whole paragraph is kind of for Paul, one sentence. But he's still fleshing out one thing that I want you, brothers and sisters in Philippi and brothers and sisters in this congregation, to focus in on. So you have there in your your, uh, uh, bulletin an outline. I encourage you to follow along. And in your Bibles, keep your Bibles open as we walk through this passage. Previously last week, the passage that Adam gave us, there were so many eyes in that passage as Paul was a sense giving his personal testimony and he landed on, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's my testimony, church, Paul was saying. Now what about you? What about you? How will you respond? How will you respond, church at Philippi? And here is what I encourage you to do. Here is how it is your chance to respond and give your testimony. And in this sentence, Paul, if we look at the verb in this sentence, what is the verb in the first sentence? Little three-letter let. It's not a very powerful verb. But in the Greek, this is a super-duper loaded Verb. If there's anything you get from this message, it is what this verb is about. It is polistuste. That doesn't mean anything to you. That's okay. We're going to unpack it. Polis. 
Polis, city. Okay, you hear that in Decapolis, Indianapolis, city, right? City is part of the root word. Other part of this is tenacity. Okay, so what is that? Tenacity and city, okay? Paul elsewhere in Acts, the only other time this verb is used, he's speaking to the Jews, and he tells the Jews, I've lived in a manner worthy of my calling as a Jew. I've lived as a good citizen. Okay, and that is what Paul is saying here. Live as a good citizen of Christ. That is what I'm calling you to, brothers and sisters. Live as a child of God. Live as a citizen. And we're going to look at what that looks like is what Paul is telling them. Now, the ancient church father, Chrysostom, known as Golden Tongue, said this, nothing is so incongruous in a Christian and foreign to his character as to seek ease and rest, okay? So he's telling us to do something. But we know, good theology, we don't do things to earn salvation, So there's some combination here, and here's how we can boil this down. With citizenship, if you are a citizen of anything, there come both privileges and obligations. Privilege. If you make a team, you have the privilege to wear the uniform. You have the obligation. Come to practice. If you're in a fraternity or sorority, you have the privilege of using that that house. The obligation to pay your dues. As a Christian, there are both privileges and obligations. We saw the privilege in Zechariah 3, the gospel, the indicative, in a sense that the Bible always leads with an indicative, a fact, before giving the imperative. What is the indicative? What is the fact in Zechariah 3? Beautiful picture of the gospel. We have Joshua, the high priest, There he is, clothed in his robe. His robe is dirty. His robe is filthy. The word in the Hebrew is basically saying his robe is so filthy, it's like dung on it. That's what it says. Who else is there? Satan. Satan, the accuser. Satan has a case. Here is the high priest. He's filthy. This should not be. Satan is right. This man stands condemned. Joshua, as the high priest, is representing all of Israel and, in a sense, us as well. Filthy, dirty, the accuser has a case. God says, no. This is one plucked from the fire. My son has stood in his place. And there we see the angel of the Lord, Christ, there. Christ, in in, in the beautiful picture of imputation, he takes the dirty robes. He gives the clean robes, cleaned only by his blood. What did we do in that? We sinned. (laughs) We didn't earn anything. We received the blessing. We received the privilege given to us by grace. Never, we never forget that comes first. But Paul is going to flesh out for us then the obligations for one who is in Christ. Three points he makes for us. The first is this. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ even if, 
even if you're alone. Paul, though he's absent, he's in prison in Rome, he longs for a good report. Same way young folks longing for the good report from that report card coming up as you've submitted your tests and so forth. Paul is away. He longs to hear. He wants to hear and be encouraged of a good report of the church at Philippi. His absence emphasizes a need for consistency on their part. He can't be there to hold their hand all the time. Like a child, his parents, parents raise that child, protecting them, but more than that, preparing them to go forward, especially the Christian parents, hopefully preparing that child so that then when they go out, they walk with the Lord. That is the preparation that Paul is investing in them. And with regard to preparation, in the military there's often a term called commander's intent. Commander's intent. Simply saying that as an army prepares for battle, they can't lay out every single condition along the way that's going to take place from A to Z. You know, they could have the coordinates of where, uh, where they're supposed to go, and there's supposed to be a stream there, and at this coordinates, the enemy's going to be here, and they'll flank them here, and all these different things. But as they go out to take that hill, what if the creek bed is dry? What if the enemy's in a different position? Do they freeze and can't go on because they, things aren't in the order that they received? No, that's not to be the case. As Colonel Tom Colditz at West Point, in, in, uh, studying the behavioral science side, said this, no plan survives contact with the enemy. No plan can survives contact with the enemy. And the point of the commander's intent is, if the commander said, take that hill, find a way to take that hill. And in so doing, you bring honor to the commander. That's the commander's intent. And Paul is saying, when we live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, we give honor to Christ. Secondly, he says, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, even if, in verse 28, even if you're scared, even if you're frightened. The picture Paul gives there is of a horse that's startled and runs. That's the picture there. When it's fearful, it scatters, it runs. And so for us, What is it that causes us to be fearful? Fearful to stand for Christ. What is it that causes us that? It could be shame in the garden. Adam and Eve, sin, there's the shame. They hide, they try to cover themselves rather than taking the true guilt to God, their friend. They hide in shame. Shame can cause us to be fearful and not stand for Christ. Losing our comfort, if our comfort's on the line, that can cause us to have trouble standing in unity for Christ. And both of these we see, in a sense, with with love life as application there. It's, It's uncomfortable to pray, to fast, whether you were to pray and fast for a day or just just to skip a meal or a TV show, just to fast from something is uncomfortable. It's not the normal to put aside that lunch and to devote ourselves to pray. That's that's not easy, okay? But it's good in the sense to say, Lord, as I'm hungering, help me to hunger, hunger more for you 
than I do for this meal or this TV show, that I might devote myself in need and dependence and desperation on you to act on behalf of these children. Or it could be this, the shame of standing out there in prayer and be looked upon, oh, what are you doing out there? That, you know, the shame of that. But in either case, Paul is saying, move on, stand together. Perseverance does not allow for interruptions, is what one has said. Perseverance does not allow for interruptions. And as we deal, and it's often the case that our shame, that it's, that it's, it's, it's good for us to get to the bottom of our shame, you know, to look at our past, look at the issues, find the root cause. If it's something to repent of, we, we repent of it. If it's something that's not our fault, we still deal with it and give it over to the Lord. And finding those causes is a good thing, is a good thing. But in the meantime, Paul says, press on, stand together. And the language he uses is military language on purpose. He, he knows they will picture Roman soldiers, shields up, standing together, marching forward. This guy might be scared, but he's going on. I've got my brother with me. He's scared. I've got my brother with me. The language is of military standing and striving together that Paul is calling his people to do. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, very often the only way to get equality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. That is why children's games are so important. They are always pretending to be grown-ups, playing soldiers, playing shop. But all the time they are hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so that the pretense of being grown-up helps them to grow up in earnest. So again, that call to step forward uh, together that Paul is giving us. And, and, and it, at Philippi, they were struggling with unity. They had so many good things, but they struggled with unity of being together in, in, in cause. And he's saying, stop the squabbling and fighting and infighting. Focus outward on the true enemy. Stand together, strive side by side in that. And then he says, he says, when you do that, he says, this is a clear sign in verse 28. He says, you will be a sign. And for those of you who have, who have, say, hiked in the mountains, what's your sign in the mountain? As you start off, you follow a, a dirt path trail. And it's pretty easy to follow uh, that sign, that trail. But as you get, go along the trail, that trail can become faint maybe as you go along and there's rocks and so forth, and it's harder to see. The trail then becomes what are called blazes on trees, markings on trees that you can see further and further, and you follow that. That's your sign. But then as you get higher above timberline, no more trees. What is the sign at that point? In Scottish, it's called a cairn. The cairn was a monument of stones. The cairn for the climber, the hiker, becomes a pile of stones that mark the path where there's snow or whatever. And that path keeps you safe as you go on towards the peak. You go off away from the cairns, the blazes, the trail, you're in danger. And Paul says to the people here, he says, you are a sign to them. So for the unbeliever, are we a sign such that we point to the substance of the sign, to Christ, that they might find grace and truth in Christ? Are we being that sign? 
with love life. We're pointing away from abortion and towards embracing life, towards positive things, towards adoption, towards helping with crisis pregnancy centers, to counseling there, through love, ultimately pointing to Christ. Our lives are signs. The unbeliever, if they deny the sign, they risk peril. They risk, in a sense, falling off a cliff, being lost. Our lives are meant to be signs. And then the third point is this. As we move to verse 29, third point that Paul gives us. Um, years back, there was a book called Start With The Why. I had to read that book. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the author's right, but, uh, name right, but Simon Sinek. Um, big, bo- big book, uh, revolutionary book, kind of in corporate circles where people were just doing the what and the how and just doing a bunch of stuff. But he says, take a step back. Consider the why. Why are you doing what you're doing? That should be the emphasis. And Paul is, in a sense, finishing with the why. He's saying, there's a point to all of this that I'm calling you to do here. And he gives us the why. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, even if you suffer. Even if you suffer. That first word in verse 29, for... In the context that's being used with a verb of suffering means that it gives the reason for it. In other words, Paul is saying, it has been granted to you. And Paul says the same thing in Thessalonians. He says the same things in Romans. Luke says it in Acts. So this isn't just a one-time thing. It has been granted to you. Suffering, this is not, a, this is not an accident where God says, whoops. This is not divine punishment. This is saying, this has been granted to you. Granted means gift. A gift to believe in him and a gift to suffer. Now, that's not easy. Not many people jumping up and saying, I'll take a double of that. But with suffering, with suffering, for us as American Christians especially, we may need to become more comfortable with the uncomfortable and a thought is this, with suffering, there's, there's often what we might call the explicit prosperity gospel. And we know to reject that, the prosperity gospel that says, if you have faith in God, then he will just bless you monetarily and everything will be easy. And if you don't have that, guess what? It's because you don't have enough faith. We know to reject that. But yet there is still an implicit, subtle prosperity gospel that still hits us and attacks us and says, in a sense, if you believe in Jesus, then you'll have good Christian friends. You'll have a good spouse who who will be, in a sense, Jesus to you. They'll have no need of sanctification. They'll just help you. They'll do everything right on your behalf. You'll have a conflict-free life. And it'll be convenient. Those things still crop up in an implicit way. But Paul says, no. Christianity is in effect about picking up and dragging a bloody cross. Simon of Cyrene, as Jesus was making his way to Golgotha, Simon probably thought, I'm here to watch the spectacle. 
but then he gets dragged into it. You carry the cross. And in that blessing, he is there closer to Christ as he carries a cross. He is closer to Christ. In the same way, we have a blessing in that suffering that we're closer to Christ, Paul is saying. And at work this past week, not that this is in any way any big picture of, of, of suffering, but, but I bring it up and I'll make the point in a minute. I had this presentation to make, and I so dreaded it, did not want to do it for anything. Uh, and, and, and I felt like, uh, if you know the movie Fletch, where Fletch gets thrown into all these situations uh, that he has nothing, doesn't know anything about, but he wings it and comes out and, and looks good in it. I felt like this is just Fletch gone bad. This is just awful. But I remember just praying going into it and just, this too will pass. This too will pass. And Teresa of Avila, many years ago, said that in one sense is helpful with, with true suffering. She said, uh, any suffering that we have in this life is like the inconvenience of a night in a, in a bad hotel compared to eternity without suffering in the presence of our Savior. Thomas Watson challenges us in this way. He says, consider whom or what we suffer for. It is for Christ and we cannot suffer for a better friend. But yet he challenges us with this. He says, how often do we actually accept to suffer shame for our lusts? We are willing to suffer shame for our lusts so often that we might suffer shame for a drunken lust, a pornographic lust, a revengeful lust. Shall others die for their lust and shall we not be willing to die for Christ, Watson says. Now for, the, for an unbeliever who might be with us today, likely thinking, yes, suffering, evil, pain, there's the problem for you Christian that you can't answer it. But really it's on the table for both, for the unbeliever and the believer. The suffering the pain, it's there for both. The answer, both have to provide it. For an unbeliever who's saying that all of life is but a midst of chaos, just thrown together, but yet you're still trying to live in an orderly way. You're still trying to say, I will live this way and I depend on these things. How can you do that apart from a Christian worldview? For the Christian, the answer is, in a sense, it's, it's simple. It started with the fall. Our federal head, Adam, he sinned, and in him we live that out. But our Savior has provided redemption from the beginning that we rest and rely on him alone. As Augustine said, even that which is against God's will accomplishes God's will will. So realize with suffering, we've heard it multiple weeks here. Adam's preached on suffering multiple times, but Paul wants us to get it. We, he, he continues to give it to us in the text. 
and, and, and the church at Philippi, they were suffering not just for their proclamation of the gospel, but also for their lives as well, their purity of life. So the question becomes for us often this. Persecutions and afflictions as a direct result of someone stand for Christ, okay? We see that in the scripture. But what about an affliction, a suffering that I have that isn't directly related to my stand for Christ? Does, is there anything in this? This passage doesn't speak, speak directly to that. But we know from scripture as a whole that anything that is suffering, that is affliction, that is hard, has the benefit in God's sovereignty to be used to bring us closer to Christ. All suffering under God's good and sovereign hand is good for us. It's not saying that we give thanks for that tragedy, but we give thanks in the midst of it that the Lord is with us in a redemptive way. I close with this. Almost 2,000 years ago, the days of the uh, Roman emperors, Valerius Licinius, a cruel Roman emperor who had killed many Christians already, gave an order that all Roman soldiers who would not offer a sacrifice to him would be killed. The look went quickly to the many, the 40 or so Roman soldiers who had professed to be Christians. What would they do? They said, there is only one true God. We will stand for him. So they were jailed temporarily to await the emperor's arrival and their sentencing. Aglius, the jailer, was uh, one of the other Roman soldiers. One of their partners was put in charge of them for seven days and pleaded with them Just give the sacrifice and move on. Go free. They refused. The emperor arrives. His sentence is that they will freeze on a lake of ice. Stripped of their armor, they will go out on the ice and freeze together. They accepted the sentencing and stood together, striving together on the lake of ice and sang together a ballad of sorts. Forty brave soldiers for Jesus, 40 brave soldiers for Christ will be true to our God and stand death in the face as we perish on this lake of ice. They continued their song through the night, growing fainter as they began to freeze. Around midnight, one of them gave in because all they had to do was to go off to the shore, into a, a warm uh, bathhouse of sense, offer, this, the, uh, 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 offer the sacrifice to the Roman emperor. This one had given in, so the others can continue singing. 39 soldiers for Jesus. The man who ran off, the temperature was such a change for him when he was hit by the warmth of the door that opens, he fell to the ground, not known whether he ever went on in. But what happened that night, Aglios, the jailer, was the only one there to see and to hear. And as the the story goes, other Roman guards heard 
not knowing what happened in the heart of Aglius, but they heard the tearing off of his armor, and he ran out to join the others and took up the song. Forty soldiers for Jesus will stare death in the face and perish on this lake of ice. So, we realize here, sitting here, will we be called to something like that? Our brothers and sisters in other countries literally suffer persecution in instances like that. Will that come one day? We don't know. But in the midst of this, Paul is calling you, calling me, to consider what is it with my citizenship in Christ, what is it that I'm called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, what do I need to give in my life that is not in conformity to Christ as I seek to live out that citizenship? Would you pray with me?